Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. Uh, is uh, Wednesday, January the 7th, 2015. I didn't think the world would last this long, but apparently it has. And we are restarting our conference call series. And tonight, I am very proud and excited to announce uh, one of our new speakers, Mr. Fred Brunswick. And Fred um, has demonstrated to me some very competent knowledge about the uh, U.S. Constitution and what it really means. Um, and, And... I was really impressed with the way that he communicates uh, his understanding and uh, what everything means and and his uh, how it fits in with what we're doing. So um, without further ado, Fred, hey, welcome. Good evening. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, actually. Excited. Good. You got some really good knowledge for us uh, tonight. We're going to help uh, break through some of that... Uh, I guess some of the ignorance barrier. Well, we hope so. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, oh, I should mention, this is going to be an ongoing series for a while, once a week for however long it takes for us to get through the Constitution. So, so Fred, how about it? Well, okay. Uh, In kind of preparation for this, I was going through some things, uh, wondering how best to present this, and uh, I came across a little book that I received. I am a naturalized citizen of this country, and it was interesting that uh, a wealthy USA citizenship. Then, as I went through that, I had a whole bunch of marks when I first got it, and uh, so I thought that would be a good place to show how early on uh, there's been much written and written in a way to mislead us, I think. Uh, the first little thing, one of the things in this little book is called The American's Creed. That was supposedly written by William Tyler Page, who was the clerk of the United States House of Representatives in 1917. And then the Congress accepted this creed um, but the house accepted it on behalf of the American people I'm not sure they can do that but anyway that's what this says the interesting thing is it says I believe in the United States of America as a government of the people by the people and for the people whose just powers are derived from the consent of the governed and then here's the first problem it says a democracy in a republic now this isn't a democracy, it's a republic. So I'm not sure why that's stuck in there. And then it's a sovereign nation of many foreign sovereign states, a perfect union, one 
and inseparable, established upon those principles of freedom, equality, justice, and humanity for which American patriots sacrificed their lives and fortunes. I therefore believe it my duty to my country to love it, the government, not the Constitution, to support it, government, not the Constitution, its Constitution. So the Constitution, I mean, it's written in a way that the government has a Constitution, and uh, to obey its laws, there should be another word in there, and that's constitutional laws, uh, to respect its flag, and to defend it, the government, not the Constitution, against all enemies. So I guess what that shows to me is that when we actually read it, we are talking about the government instead of the Constitution uh, in the thing that we should uphold and love and and fight for and all that kind of thing. Um, Then it has a little list here of the duties of a citizen, uh, and it sounds wonderful when you first read it. It says, these are the duties of a citizen. It is my duty to obey my country's laws. There again, not all the laws I make, only the ones that are constitutional. It is my duty to vote so my government may truly represent the will of the people. And I've inserted individual people because that makes more sense to me. Uh, It is my duty to keep informed as to the honesty and ability of candidates for public office. So some of these duties are really good, and I think that's where many times our general public fall down because they don't check into the honesty and ability of candidates to find out if they will do what they're supposed to do. I think really it should be a a job interview, and we in some measure should interview or try to interview everyone we're going to vote for to find out if they're doing what we want them to do. Um, this is one we all should be involved in. It is my duty by my votes and my influence to correct injustice, which I hope that's what we're kind of doing by getting involved in these calls and getting involved in all the other things that we think uh, need to be taken care of in our wayward government. It is my duty to serve on a jury when called, uh, when called on, but it doesn't say who calls us, who co- who called us, called on us, and I don't know how many people understand that the Constitution is set up in a way that if you're going to have a jury, the person that should call you to be on a jury is the duly elected sheriff, because that's how a Republican form of government works. We we choose as a people who's going to be our law enforcement officer. And if we don't like what he's doing, then we can choose not to have that person, which you can't do with any of the other law enforcement agencies, police, um, FBI, CIA, all the other ones that the United States supposedly has. We didn't vote for him. If you don't vote for him, you can't vote vote him out of office. Uh, Let's see. my duty to defend my country if need should arise and uh, that the way that's supposed to happen is through your state militia it is my duty to abide by the will of the majority to stand behind my government 
so that my nation may be unified in time of crisis. Um, there again, we're talking about government when I think it should say something about the institution. Um, these are the rights and privileges. And there was one thing in here that is really interesting. I don't know how many people are listening. I don't know how many people understand this concept. Um, I have the right to vote. By my vote, I choose the public officers who are really my servants. One time I was doing a job here in Utah. Uh, I do video work, and I was shooting a, a I guess a, um, I don't know if it's a seminar or announcement of some opening of something. And uh, we have a senator back then that was named Senator Bennett. And um, they had only certain parking available at the site, so you had to uh, be shuttled there, except for there was a big black limo. And I asked, uh, when I got done, I said, uh, who does this limo belong to? And they said, well, that's the senator's. And I said, well, uh, he's my servant, isn't he? So why does he get to park down here? And all of the people, the citizens who are coming to this, don't get to. What's the, what's the deal there? I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, then this one is a real, real, has to do with the law. And it says, I have the right to a prompt trial by jury if I should be accused of a crime. I don't know how many people out there think they have a right to a jury, but if you think that, you're incorrect because you do not have a right to a trial by jury. The reason for that is that the Constitution makes it mandatory. You don't have a right not to have a trial by jury. It says all crimes shall be tried by jury. There isn't a you can't waive that right because you don't have that right. It's mandatory under the Constitution. Every crime should be tried by a jury. And, of course, it doesn't say anything in the Constitution about a judge. So that's a whole other thing. But those are some of the things that I think, and I even checked uh, online today. Uh, this is an old one. This is a version uh, revised in 1988. Um, the new one has the same information and kind of written in the same way. There are a lot of things in here that talk about, in fact, it doesn't have republic anywhere. It always has democratic or democracy. Can, so, can you tell us what this document is again that you're reading from? Yeah, this one is called A Welcome to USA Citizenship, Everyone Who Becomes a Citizen, swears to uphold the Constitution and all that kind of thing, when they're, you know, if they come from another country and wants U.S. citizenship, this is one of the booklets they give you to help you understand how our government works. Hmm. Okay. So it has also in it uh, um, a thing that says, uh, let's see, all the different things that a good, a good citizen is. Uh, it has the oath of allegiance in it. Um, and, I mean, there's a lot of things in there. Like I say, anywhere where it talks about what kind of government it is, it says democracy, not republic. Is there's a whole lot of difference between those two. So this is the kind of thing that new people are getting. And, of course, I guess anybody that studies or gets this and reads it and decides, well, this is how the government works, that's where they, the way they want you to believe it. 
but that's not really the case. Now, if we get into the first uh, portion of the Constitution. Now, I don't believe that the Constitution, well, it might have. I'm trying to remember. The one I have here, hopefully you all have a Constitution if you're following along here. The first part of it, the title, if there is one originally, it should say Constitution for the United States of America. Of course, the uh, first paragraph says, We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Most of the stuff uh, that I've seen and most of the terminology that people use, they say it's the Constitution of the United States of America. That's incorrect. It's the Constitution of the people, maybe, but it's the Constitution for the United States of America. There's a lot of difference in that terminology. Can you explain that difference for us a little bit? Like the difference between of and for. Well, that's something that... For something that somebody came up with for this entity. And the other way would be the entity came up with, uh, you know, the United States came up with the Constitution. So that's the Constitution of the United States. That's really not the way it is. The people came up with it and did it for the United States, not, and it's not the United States having a Constitution which would then make it off. Okay. So that terminology changed um, at some point, and I think a lot of times in the Constitution, that's the thing we have is terminology that doesn't fit with the, I guess the, uh, the understanding and the, and the um, what's the word I want, the things that the founding fathers wanted us to understand from what they wrote. So if we get into the Constitution a little bit, I'll just kind of touch on a couple of things. We're in Article 1, Section, um, let's see, go down to let's go with um, Section 8 is always a good one. Article 1, Section 8. Well, uh, can we? Okay, so the science just like an overview, or did you actually yeah, want to? Yeah, I'm just gonna. Okay, I'm kind of going over this the the way I, uh, the some of the things that I first wanted to check, and so section eight. Is, so so next week we'll come back with Article One, Section One. Yeah, we can go through that if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah just one by one, like this is a, a fifth grade or something. Yeah. Okay. So. Well, Article One uh, initially sets up the uh, all legislative powers. Of course, that's Section One shall be vested in the Congress of the United States, and Section Two is the House of Representatives sets that up. Uh, our clause Two in Section Two talks about uh, who's 
who can be elected to those offices, how old they have to be, and they have to live in the state to be elected for, that kind of thing. Uh, Section 3, part of that was uh, amended by Article 14, I mean Amendment 14, and that is where they, how they counted people, which is really interesting. If you remember uh, a little while ago, it seemed like um, the Congress read the Constitution in, in, in the Congress, um, and they left this part out, which is kind of interesting because it talks about uh, excluding Indians, not taxed, and three-fifths of all other persons. You know, <laughs> and so, of course, the article, I mean, the 14th Amendment changed that to all full persons, not just parts of persons. Um, but just going through some of the things that I wanted to find out for myself as I was going through this is, what is Congress allowed to do? I mean, we've we set up the Congress, and it says, when they can meet, all that kind of thing, mostly in the first parts of the section. When you get to Section 8, this is where it tells us, and also the Congress, what we have allowed them to do, and if it's not in here, they can't do it. That makes sense. Well, apparently it doesn't make sense to Congress. Well, no, they do what they want. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is what they're supposed to be able to do, within these confines. Right. So all of Section 8, the first one starts out, the Congress shall have power, and then all the others, you can add that to the first of the paragraph or the statement. Uh, It says, Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises, to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare welfare of the United States, but all duties, imposed and exercises shall be uniform throughout the United States. Uh, so the taxes are for the states. There's nothing in the first section there, the first clause, that says anything about individual people. They can lay taxes, and that's the way it's supposed to work, to the states. Well, it also says it can provide welfare. No, provide for that's a whole lot different than to provide. <laughs> provide for. Okay. We'll get into one of the other things here in a, in a few minutes. Uh, but that's, a, that's a, a key thing to remember. When you read over it quickly, you may not get that. But the United States is only supposed to tax the states as a state, not the people. Uh, they can borrow money on the credit of the United States. That's number two. Number three... They can regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. Uh, number four, there's something here to look at. To establish a uniform rule, singular rule, not only one rule, of naturalization and uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcies throughout the United States. They aren't authorized to make bankruptcy courts on the Judges, only uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcies. Um, of course, they can coin money, regulate the value of their That's number five. Number six, to provide for the punishment of counterfeiting the securities and current coin of the United States. Now, they shouldn't be able to do anything with somebody that comes up with other kinds of money. And there are other 
cities and towns in the United States that have come up with their own uh, form of money and trade that this doesn't affect. It's only what, what it only affects at least six. Clause six only affects the money that the United States makes. Okay, um, number nine. This is really important. It says the Congress shall have power to constitute tribunals inferior to the Supreme Court. Now, tribunals have to have more than one judge. And so, if you're going to have more than one judge, the circuit courts may fit that bill, but none of the district courts, U.S. district courts, do. So, under the Constitution, they would be illegal. It's just food for thought. Wow. That's but that's what it says. Constitute tribunals. It doesn't say constitute district courts. It doesn't say, you know, that's all it says. And tribunals have to have more than one judge. Um, let's see. We're getting to the one big one that really started all of my study. Um, number 11 says, to declare war, Congress shall have power to declare war, grant letters of marquee and revival, and make rules concerning capture on land and water can't make laws. They can only make rules. Um, number 12, this is a very important one, but, but uh, just stuck out at me because I've been in the service. It says the United, the, the United or the Congress shall have power to raise and support armies, but no appropriation of money to that use shall be for longer than a term of two years. Now, the next one is pretty interesting. Clause 13, Congress shall have power to provide and maintain a Navy. Back when this was written, that was pretty much military. And you'll have to remember that army that the United States could raise and still hasn't changed in the Constitution is from the militias of the states because all the states have their own militia. Um, so the only thing that we can have under the Constitution as far as a military that we, uh, a standing military that's always ready to go is the Navy. There's nothing in the Constitution about Marine Corps. Now, they maintain that's part of the Navy, and that may pass. There's nothing about a Coast Guard. There's nothing about an Air Force. And there's nothing about a U.S. Army unless it's raised from the states, and that's the state militias. Okay. They're all just interesting interesting things to think about because this is what it says. Um, now, on 15, clause 15, well, clause 14 is very important in all the things that we have to do with government. It says the Congress shall have power to make rules for the government, regulation of the land and naval forces. So they can make rules for government, but they can't make rules for people. And so if you're in court and they're saying you have to follow follow the rules of procedure of any given court, the only time you have to do that is if you have an attorney because the attorney is an officer of the court. But a citizen is not, and they can't make rules for citizens. It says right here, 
and make rules for government. If it doesn't say citizens, then they can't do that. So there's you know another thing to put in your arrow, your quill of arrows to bring up when somebody says you have to do something and you know you don't. Um, number six, seventeen, clause seventeen. This is the big one that, um, as you read it, you become you start to understand. Wow, there's something really wrong here. So that is, Congress shall have power to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district not exceeding 10 miles square. That is the limit of the Congress's legislation. So I don't know what they're doing making laws that include all the states. We have our own legislatures that take care of the laws for the states, and it's their job to make sure that they conform with the United States Constitution so that they're constitutional. The Congress shouldn't be making laws for anybody or passing legislation anywhere outside of Washington, D.C. What it says here, not exceeding 10 miles square. And by the way, it's not 10 miles square. It's only 6.5 miles, but I think it's 6.8 miles square. (laughs) Because George Washington, before he died, well, it might have been just after, but anyway, he's the one that gave property, uh, which it talks about here. Um, let me read that again. Congress shall have power to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district not exceeding 10 miles square, as may, by session or gift, of particular states... So there were two states that ceded land to the United States government so that they'd have a center, you know, a place to be. And it had to be accepted by Congress. That land had to be accepted by Congress to become the seat of government of the United States. And to exercise like authority that is exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever, so exercise like authority over all places purchased by the consent of the legislature of the state in which the same shall be. So any land that the United States government has or gets or wants has to be purchased because they're only gifted two pieces out of Maryland and Virginia one time. Anything else that the United States government is supposed to own, land-wise, real estate-wise, is supposed to be purchased from a state with the okay of the legislature of that state. And the only thing they can do with that property when they get it is is uh, the reason they, they have it is for erection of forts, magazines, arsenals, dockyards, and other needful buildings. I don't know what you have in your state, wherever you are, but in our state, Utah, there is a tremendous amount of property that supposedly the federal government owns, and I don't believe they bought it. And I don't <laughs> believe they bought it from the okay of the legislature of our state. So that is a that's a real big one. But when you 
read exactly what it says. Um, they haven't been following that for a long time. So you can see there's a lot of things that uh, are out of whack with this. We can keep going, but maybe some someone has questions that I can clarify on some of these things. I don't know. Um, what was that, Article 1? That's Article 1, Section 8. Uh, in the big one, it's Clause 17, where it talks about what property and the legislation power of Congress. And okay. Did we cover all of Article 1? No, not yet. Oh, okay. Uh, so what, you want to do that next week or start now or what? Uh, whatever you want to do. I mean, I can keep going through uh, Article 1, Section 8, or we can go through Article 1. Most of Article 1 in the beginning is just setting up how Congress will be, uh, who can be a congressman, who can be a senator, uh, well, how they have to be, that kind of thing. I like to keep shows around an hour, or sure. hour 15 minutes, whatever. If you think we can go through all of Article 1 um, in about half an hour, 45 minutes, let's keep going. Okay. Uh, we're just at uh, halfway through our hour, I guess, at this point. But Yeah. Well, let's see. I guess we can recap a little bit of uh, Article 1. Like I say, the first one talks about the House of Representatives and, and uh, how it's set up. The second, uh, Section section 1, shall be in the Congress, because Article 1 sets up the Congress and sets up all the parameters for Congress. Uh, section 2... Well, let's go over that. Okay. All legislative powers, herein granted, shall be vested in the Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. That's pretty simple. Number two, the House of Representatives shall be composed of members chosen every second year by the people of the several states, and the electors in each state shall have the qualifications requisite for electors, of the most numerous branch of the state legislature. Pretty, I mean, that's they're, they're really actually following that one. Um, section two, clause two: No person shall be a representative who shall not have attained the age of 25 and in seven years a citizen of the United States, and who shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of that state in which he shall be chosen. In other words, you can't live in another state. Um, and be a representative of a different state. Right, which is... You have to be a representative of the state you live in. Which is what Senator Merkley from Oregon is doing. Well, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) He's from Oregon, but lives in New York. Well, all of them live there when they're elected, but before they're elected. Right. No, New York, not not D.C., Right, but what I'm saying is, uh, well, yeah, if he lives in New York, he he shouldn't, uh, unless he maintains a residence there, uh, you know, in Oregon, um, I guess that's how they get around it. Yeah, just enough to say that he's from here, but whatever. But anyway. Right. So that's, you know, one of those things. Uh, Section 2, Clause 3 talks about uh, direct taxes, and that has to be taxes among the several states, not among individuals. 
So that's one place where the individual income tax by the federal government is not allowed. Um, this talks about the, how they figure out how many people live in the state so you know how many representatives you get. See, the actual enumeration shall be made within three years after the first meeting of the Congress of the United States, which by now is over, so that doesn't apply, and within every subsequent term of 10 years in such manner as they shall by law direct. So every 10 years they can assess how many people live in a state, and that may give them or even take away representatives, the number of representatives the state is allowed to have. The number of representatives should not exceed one for 30, every 30,000, but each state shall have at least one representative, and until such enumeration shall be made, the state of New Hampshire, then it goes through and says, out of the 13 states, how many each one of those states start out with. Uh, number four, this is section two, clause four. When vacancies happen in the representation from any state, the ex executive authority thereof shall issue writs of election to fill such vacancies. So that means that the state, um, or the governor of the state, will decide somebody to fill in if somebody is not in office or gets out of office or dies or whatever. That that falls to the governor of the state to find somebody to fill in until an election happens so the people can pick who they want. The House of Representatives shall choose their speaker and other officers and shall have the sole power of impeachment. If we're going to impeach anybody in office, then the House of Representatives does that. Because they more represent the people. When the Constitution was written, this also talks about the Senate, and that's Section 3. The Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state. That's where we're supposed to have, I mean, the House of Representatives is the people's representation when it was first set up, and the Senate was the state's representation. Now, Article, I mean, uh, Amendment 17 changed that, and I don't think that was a very good idea. I think there's a lot of people that agree with that. So where the people vote for senators. Now, the states, sovereign states, don't have state representation, if that makes sense. There are some things that the state should retain, and that's one of them. That's why there's two houses, one for the states and one for the people. Hmm. Well, see, that's something I didn't know. Yeah, and I think when that was passed off, at least it just seems to me, they said, well, why don't we just have the people vote for the Senate, too? And everybody thinks, well, yeah, we should vote for them. But no, because now the state doesn't have representation in the federal government. Only the people do. Which may or may not be bad or good, but it's, you know, they set it up to have both, and that way the senators can do more of the work that the state government needs, not necessarily the people of the state, because we've got plenty of representatives taking care of that already. That's how it's supposed to work. Then number two in section three, it says, uh, immediately after they shall be assembled in consequence of the first election, they have to have one of those two back then, 
they shall be divided as equally as may be as may be into three classes and then of course then it talks about then every two years um, people are replaced or retained but that keeps it so that everybody doesn't get replaced all at once in the, in the uh, Senate. So, you know, unless the people vote them out. <laughs> right. That, that would do it. But anyway, they always have somebody that's not on the same year of election than, than some of the others. That makes sense. Staggered. Uh, yeah. No person shall be a senator who shall not have attained the age of 30 years. Representatives only have to be 25. Uh, and been nine years a citizen of the United States, and again has to be an inhabitant of the state in which he's going to uh, be a senator for. Then it talks about number four is the vice president of the United States shall be the president of the Senate, but shall have no vote unless they be equally divided. Five is the Senate shall choose their other officers and also a president pro temper in the absence of the vice president or when he shall exercise the office of president of the United States. So if the vice president is being the president because the president's incapacitated or dead or whatever, then they have to vote for President pro temper, and that had to happen the first time as well. First time they had elections, there wasn't a vice president or a president, so there had to be a pro temper in in Senate to be able to count the votes, that kind of thing, for the first time. Uh, number six, the Senate shall have the sole power to try all impeachments. So somebody in the House, the House is the ones that impeach, and then the Senate tries that impeachment, whether or not it's going to stick or whether they're going to let them go, put it that way. And that sets up how that would happen. Um, and how would that happen? Well, that's pretty plain. When sitting for that purpose, when the Senate is sitting to try an impeachment that the... That the uh, House of Representatives said we got to impeach, impeach this guy. Then they shall. Be, then they are sitting for that purpose. They shall be on oath or affirmation. When the President of the United States is tried, if that's what we're going to do, impeach the President, the Chief Justice shall preside, and no person shall be convicted without the concurrence of two thirds of the members present. Now that's a little scary thing. Because just like uh, if you remember what happened with the Federal Reserve, there weren't very many members present when they decided that issue. So rather than saying two-thirds of the Senate, it says two-thirds of the members present. Wow. So that could be three senators, for instance, and two of them uh, have to concur which I guess is okay, but still it would be better if there were more than that there. So, so it just says members present. So That's how we got hoodwinked. Well, that's for sure how we how the, the Federal Reserve happened. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's an inherent weakness of the Constitution right there. It sounds to me like it is, yeah. 
So, uh, so three people, uh, three people meet at midnight on Christmas and say, "We're going to overthrow the U.S." All in favor? Aye. <laughs> yeah, it uh, probably went down like that too. Uh, number seven, judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office. In other words, all the Senate can do in trying impeachment is remove somebody from office or leave them in if they decide, you know, that that's the verdict. But all they can do is take them out of office. But it also says in the same uh, clause, they, they, of course, they can't be in any office or trust in the United States thereafter, but the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to law. So if we if we impeach the president, let's say, and they threw him out of office and he can't be in office or any kind of elected office anymore in the United States, he can still be, uh, you know, taken to court for the crime that he committed, which caused the impeachment, and be punished the way he should be, which probably should have happened about six times, if I recall, in the history of our United States. But it didn't. Okay. Then we get to Section 4, the times and places, manner of holding elections for senators. It kind of sets up how the... the and that's already set up, and they're following that one pretty well, just when we're going to vote and when we're going to count and that kind of thing. Congress shall, this is number two in section four, Congress shall assemble at least once in every year. And unless they shall be, shall by law be appointed a different day. That's because they changed the the, uh, amendment 21, changed a little bit of who picks what day. Through section five, clause one, each house shall be the judge of the elections, returns and qualifications of its own members, and a majority of each shall constitute a quorum to do business. A smaller number may adjourn from day to day and may be authorized to compel the attendance of absent members in such manner and under such penalties as each house may provide. So they can they can make everybody attend and penalize them within that group, either the representatives of the House, I mean the Senate, um, trying to keep rules in their own, keep everybody doing what they're supposed to do. Each House may determine the rules of its proceedings, punish its members for disorderly behavior, and with the concurrence of two-thirds, expel a member. Okay. Section 5, Clause 3, each house shall keep a journal of its proceedings and from time to time publish the same, excepting such parts as may in their judgment require secrecy. Years and yeas and nays of the members of either house on any question shall, at the desire of one-fifth of those present, be entered on the journal. Neither house, this is number four, neither house during the session of Congress shall, without the consent of the other, adjourn for more than three days nor to any other place than that in which the two houses shall be sitting. So they can't decide to say, well, next week we're going to California, we're going to finish uh, our session down there. Can't do that. Section 6. 
an interesting one. The senators and representatives shall receive a compensation for their services to be ascertained by law and paid out of the treasury of the United States. They shall in all cases except treason, felony, and breach of the peace be privileged from arrest during their attendance at the session of their respective houses. And in going to and returning from the same, and for any speech or debate in either house, they shall not be questioned in any other place. Now, the problem we have here is what is breach of the peace? Hmm. And so there are some that I believe, of course that's just me, but I think it may show in history that some were in breach of the peace, and that's something that you can arrest them for, even if they're sitting in the house and it's in session. So, Senator, so hold on. There? Okay. So, <clears throat> breach of the peace. I want to go to was... questions because we've got ten minutes or so. Um, what what is the breach of the peace? You said it wasn't defined. It's not defined in here. So apparently, uh, most people at that time knew what breach of the peace was. <laughs> huh. But I can I can have a more definite uh, answer for you next time if we don't do that. We'll go over that. Okay. So we're still in Article 1. Yep, Article 1, Section 6, and that was Clause 1. Uh, how many sections are there? There are, let's see, 10. Okay. Section Uh-oh. 10. Uh-oh. What's the problem? Oh, I'm having a talk shoeism. Lost connectivity. Okay, oh. we're back. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, we're just talking about there are ten sections in Article One. Of course, Article One outlines everything about the Congress of the United States. Okay. And there's only one Congress. We do not have Congresses in states. We have legislatures. It's uh, good to note that. Now then it talks about how the bills shall be originated. Um, that's section seven. Another put forth. Um, most of the business is done. Uh, Sundays accepted on all days of counting, that kind of thing. Section nine, there's a couple of interesting things there. We've gone through section eight already pretty much, but we can visit those again if anybody has questions. Well, let's go ahead with uh, finish up Section 9. Okay, 9, uh, the migration or importation, this talks about slaves, basically it doesn't say that, but the migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now exist, now existing, shall think proper to admit. So this is um, who can come into the country and who can come into the states. Migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit shall not be prohibited by the Congress prior to the year 1808, but a tax or duty may be imposed on such importation, not exceeding $10 for each person. Interesting, but that doesn't happen now because we're not talking about, we don't have those people anymore. Wow. Um, Yeah. 
Okay, the privilege of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended unless when in cases of rebellion or invasion the public safety may require it. Now say that again. The privilege of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended unless when in cases of rebellion or invasion of the United States courts. The public safety may require it. And what is the writ of habeas corpus? That I'm going to have to fill. Uh, I've had it explained to me, but I'm still not real clear on that. Okay. <laughs> but it has to do with court cases and stuff. Okay. It's, uh, it's like, where's the body? I guess that's the thing. Anyway. No bill of attainder. This is Section 9, Clause 3. No bill of attainder or ex post facto law shall be passed. In other words, this happened here in Utah. A person was... Uh, a year, I think it was a year and a half after he supposedly committed a crime, he was uh, charged with a crime and taken to court. But then we found that at the time he supposedly, he didn't do what they said, but at the time he supposedly did it, it wasn't a law. It wasn't a crime. So they can't charge him for something that wasn't a law at the time it happened. Subsequent to that, they changed the law, and now it's a crime. But he didn't do it when it was a crime. That's kind of what this is saying. You can't pass a law that is retroactive. Okay. Here's uh, Section 9, Clause 4. This is really important for tax purposes. No capitation or other direct tax shall be laid unless in proportion to the census or enumeration herein before directed to be taken. Say what? That's right. No capitation or other tax. Capitation, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. No capitation or other tax shall be laid unless in proportion to the census or enumeration herein before directed to be taken. In other words, all tax from the United States has to be taxed to the state, and they're taxed in proportion to the population of that state. But the people don't pay the tax; the state does. Okay. Okay. So one one state might have a million people, and so then they'll be taxed then yeah, a million taxed, dollars. But then yeah. the other state has ten million, and they'll be taxed ten million dollars. Yeah. Okay. I mean, using those numbers, yeah. Right. So if you have more people in your state, then you're taxed, taxed by the federal government to run the federal government more than a state that has less people, which makes sense to a point. <laughs> but anyway, the, the the issue there is it's by state, not by people. Okay. Uh, then let's see, we go down to the ones I have an outline here are ones that they are following through. No no preference shall be given by any regulation of commerce or revenue to the ports of one state over those of another. You have to remember when this was written, the main mode of moving products and materials state to state was by boat through the ports, sailing ports, all up and down the coast wasn't as much uh, 
you know, they didn't have overland trucking, they had wagons, but most of the the commerce happened up and down the coast through ports, um, bringing products in and selling products to other states, that kind of thing. So that's the way this is written, but it still makes good sense because it's talking about regulation of commerce. Okay. Uh, let's see, number seven, no money shall be drawn from the treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by law. So you can't just go in and take some money. It's got to, you know, Congress has to decide that that money should be taken out and spent on something. And a regular statement and account of the receipts and expenditures of all public money shall be published from time to time. I don't know when that happened. I don't know what time to time when they did that. The same thing happens in most states, but I don't know when a budget or or not the budget, but the actual expenditures and what money was spent for has ever been published to the people. At least not in our state, and I don't think in the United States that that's published so we can look at it. It may be, but I haven't seen it. I don't think they want us to know completely what they're spending money on. <laughs> Uh, number eight is important. No title of nobility shall be granted by the United States, and no person holding any office of profit or trust under them shall, without the consent of the Congress, accept of any present emolation, office, or title of any kind, whatever, from any king, prince, or foreign state. So it's not a real big deal, I guess, um, Anybody that's in office should not accept any kind of gift because that may mean it'll color their decision-making abilities. Does that include from the Federal Reserve? Uh, Federal Reserve is not part of the government, so it doesn't include that. I mean, can they accept gifts from the Federal Reserve? They're not supposed to. That's what it says here. <laughs> oh, well, the other thing that's I'm of the impression here, that they do anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's happened. Uh, the one thing, the first part it says, though, and I think we still have that without anybody really knowing, no title of nobility. So let me ask you, is the first lady a title of nobility? Because you get preferential treatment over any other citizen. Well, whether it's a title or not, she is getting preferential treatment. Yeah, but she's not supposed to have any title of nobility. So should any state, should anybody have a title, any person have a title of first lady? Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, where did it come from? We're not supposed to have titles of nobility. We're not supposed to have special judges. We're not supposed to have, you know, somebody that's, um, even though they're not nobility as like we think of kings and stuff like that, but... They're, they've received titles. I don't know if it's by the government or if it's just by the people. That's what they call them, or by the press. Who knows? But it's still a little bit improper, I think, according to the Constitution. Uh, let's see. Section 10 talks about the states. No state shall enter into any treaty, alliance, or confederations, grant letters of marquee or reprisal, coin money, submit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin, a tender in payment of debts, pass any bill of a tender, a post facto law, or law 
carrying the obligation of contracts. That's really important. Wow. No state can pass a law impairing the obligation of contracts. If I've got a contract with you, whatever it is, state can't pass a law and say, I can't do that. Or grant any title of nobility. So the states can't grant titles of nobility either. Uh, Number two, no state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any imposts or duties on imports or exports, except what may be absolutely necessary for executing its inspection laws. This happened, I think, when it was written. As I said, everything's coming into port on ships, and they'd want to inspect the ships and things and make sure that everything's the way it's supposed to be, and that costs money to have somebody do that. So right. they could they could charge for that, but if they charge more than the cost, then the balance of the money they charged goes to the United States Treasury, not to the state or not to the people. That's to make sure they only charged what it cost. We're getting right down to the end of your time, I guess. I don't know if this shuts off or what. No, no. We can just so we're we're at section ten. We're Section 10, and the last one is uh, Clause 3. No state shall, without the consent of Congress, uh, lay any duty of tonnage, keep troops or ships of war in time of peace. That's kind of interesting, because we keep ships of war in time of peace somewhere. They're always flying around the world someplace. (laughs) Enter into any agreement or compact with another state. I called our governor once, and he didn't want to talk to me, so he gave me to his adjutant general. <laughs> and the question was about the uh, militia or the so-called Utah National Guard. And they would take their summer two weeks or whatever it was and go down to Arizona and help build the fence between Mexico and Arizona. That's all well and good, and it might have been a good idea, and it might have been something we needed. But my question to them was, do we have a do we have an agreement with Arizona? Oh yeah, they let us go down there and do that. And I said, is it with the consent of Congress? Because you can't do it without the consent of Congress. And uh, so I said, so what's what's the answer? And he says, well, I don't know. I said, well, would you please ask the governor? And he says, no, I won't ask the governor. I said, why won't you ask the governor? He says, because I want my job. I don't want to lose my job. So I never got the governor to answer, and, of course, he wouldn't answer. But I know that they didn't have any consent of Congress to take Utah National Guard to go down to Arizona and work for Arizona to build a fence. So, you know. It says they can't do that, but that doesn't mean they follow this. Okay. So that's the end of that. Okay, so we're going to open it up for questions. I see a couple on the board, but if anybody that's called in has any questions, you can hit star 8 on your phone, and it'll light up. And I will call on you, star 8 on your phone, if you have any questions. Star 8. Okay. I don't see any questions. 
so. Yeah. Um, we have somebody that's asked two questions here. One, Fred, in your studies, have you discovered a method of becoming a citizen of their state versus a 14th Amendment U.S. citizen? As far as I've read here, the 14th Amendment, when it was written, included, I don't know if it was proper, but they included uh, citizens of the United States. I'm not sure why, I'm trying to figure that out myself, why uh, we have to be citizens of both. Another side note on that is that there's nothing in the Constitution that says a state can't succeed, secede from the Union. No penalty involved. There's nothing about that. Um, and so you can be a citizen of a state, theoretically, and not be a citizen of the United States. Um but they've looped that, you know, lumped that all into one. If you're a citizen of the state and the state is part of the United States as the union, then you automatically become a citizen of the United States as well. Because I think on the one side of that, it's a good thing so that you're covered by all the benefits and everything, no matter where in the United States you are. Uh, there might be some problems that you're asking this question about why, you know, does that lock into anything? I'm not fully up on that kind of uh, that part of the the equation. Okay. Another question. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Since naturalization is by choice, can a naturalized citizen remove themselves from being a fourteenth amendment citizen? Well, you're not a 14th Amendment citizen unless you're a citizen, naturalized, or you were born here, according to the Constitution. In other words, you can have... I'm from Norway. If you, If I came over here and decided never to become a citizen, then I'm not a citizen of the United States or a citizen of Utah. I'm just an alien. Of course, I have to abide by the rules and laws that they have for somebody that is not a citizen. So I'd have to have a blue card or something that allows me to stay here for an extended period of time. Okay. We have somebody with their hand raised. Minnesota, go ahead. Hi. Um, I just had a question getting back to the the section on about the militia. State uh-huh. Right. Yes, and um, I to me it seems like the uh, you know the National Guard, which is supposed to be representative of the state militia, kind of crosses boundaries with what's you know what what's kind of known as the uh, res- army res- you know the reservists you know the army reservists the the uh, like the Air Force reservists. Do you have any comments on that, sir? Sure. I can tell you what the Constitution says. Uh, The only army that the United States is supposed to have or be able to raise is by calling on the militias of the states. Now, to preface that a little bit, we have every state has a militia, and every 
person in my research, I've gone through all the states' constitutions, uh, are members, if you're between the ages of 18 and 45, you are mandatorily a member of the state militia. Whoa. That's right. That's what each state constitution says. Most everybody in that category, unless they're part of this state National Guard, don't know that. And I also called uh, a general here in Utah about that. I said, okay, well, the Constitution in Utah says that, you know, this is the way it is, and uh, if they're needed, they'll be called up. And I said, so if something happens, some kind of catastrophe, some kind of invasion, some kind of whatever that needed to have, and, and what, they, what they have in each one is an active militia, which they say is the National Guard, and an inactive militia, which is everybody else within the ages of 18 to 45. Wow. Okay. Now, the crazy thing, and this is what I was bringing up to them, I said, okay, that's what the Constitution says. How do you call those people up? What do you mean? I said, well, okay, we've got some kind of a catastrophe. You need more than the Guard we have. You're going to call up the inactive militia how do you call them up? Well, that's that's never happened. I said, I don't care if it never happened. How do you do it? How do you call somebody up at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, you need to report such and such down here, bring your gun, whatever, because you're the militia and we need you. And the guy's going to say, what? Who are you? <laughs> so because the citizens don't read their own constitutions, either one, the state or the federal, they don't know that they are mandatorily part of a, militia, and they aren't trained. In fact, my question to uh, the Adjutant General when I called him about this, I said, okay, I've got a son who's in that age group and needs to be trained. What do you mean? I said, well, the Constitution says you're supposed to train him because he's part of the militia. Oh, well, they didn't have an answer. (laughs) But that's that's what the Constitution says. So when you're called up by the United States, and this has happened in you know the Iraq War and whatever, they've called up units of the National Guard in different states to go into active service, serving for the United States now uh, until they're brought back and deactivated, whatever. So I don't know if I'm if I'm covering your question, but there should be no. Standing Army, according to the Constitution. And then here again, I want to say, I don't necessarily say that's a bad or good idea. I'm just saying this is what the Constitution allows. So the Constitution allows that the Army the United States would use, if it needs an Army, is called from the militias of the states. And then, just like in the Civil War, that's what the Union Army was. They were called up from militias units of the states, and when it was over... Those units went back to the states. There was no more army for the United States. Constitutionally, Mm -hmm. which I think we'll get into later, if they were to go overseas, then those members would have to legally refuse the orders to go overseas because to do that would be unconstitutional. That's correct. That's Clause 15. That's Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15. The only thing when you're called up to be the army for the United States, these are the things 
you, you're allowed to do. The Congress shall have power to provide for calling forth the militias from the states to execute the laws of the Union, to suppress insurrection, and to repel invasion. Now, that's what the Constitution says. How do you do any of those three things outside of the country? You cannot execute United States laws outside the country. You cannot suppress insurrection outside the country. And you can't repel invasion from outside the country. So there's food for thought. Wow. How in the world, why do we have all these army people, navy people, military people anywhere outside of the country? This does not allow it. I'm not saying it's a good or bad idea. I'm just saying that if we're doing it, we need to either change the Constitution to allow it or follow the Constitution and say, okay, we're not going outside the country know-how because this doesn't allow us to. We're not supposed to be the world police. Wow. I don't know if that answers the question. Well, it raised uh, many other thoughts. Questions. Yeah, well, it raised some <laughs> thoughts, you know, and that's that's why we hold these calls. Okay. Well, um, any more questions? Final call. Star eight. One more. Yeah, just to, just to piggyback a little bit on that, uh, what you just talked about. I served both in the uh, <clears throat> Army Reserve and then in the uh, Army Guard. And uh-huh. and so after getting out of it, you know, and taking a look back at it, and, you know, one of the places I served was what's called a, a Regional Support Command, and that was with the Army Reserve, which represented itself as kind of a almost like a state militia in disguise, but really it was a federal, you know, organization of the Army Command uh, over the states. It, it covered, you know, there's like I think there's about eight of them across the country, and they cover they cover the states. So right. they're they're to me it seems like they're uh, imprinted on the uh, you know on the boundaries of, of the state state militia, you know, organized under a, a federal, you know, militia. Any comments on that? Right. We can go to uh, the next section, um, Clause 16, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 16. The Congress shall have power to provide for, not provide, but provide for, that means they can pay for it, organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia. That's the reason I called the governor's adjutant general and wanted him to train my son, and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, only when they're called up, reserving to the states, respectively, the appointment of the officers and the authority of training the militia according to the dis- discipline prescribed by Congress. So all the officers in the militia should be picked by the states. And so there should be no commissions um, or officers picked who's going to command who by the United States, just by the state leaders or the executive in the state, governor, whatever. That's what it says here. 
true. That's reserved for the states and secularists. And there should be no, I mean, here again, this also gets back to Congress not take care of things outside of 10 miles square. And and also that we have a standing army, which part of the reserve is, that's part of the army, not part of the National Guard. At least that's the way they present it. And that's not allowed. And they're only supposed to, I think the way they get around this is they pay for, they have to uh, get appropriations for the army every two years, because that's what Clause 12 says. And so they just, you know, pass another motion that we're going to pay for this for another two years. And it has to be revisited every two years. But that's not the way the Constitution was set up. And, and the funding the funding comes out of a lot of the same pots, too, from what I understand, well, so that confuses it, too. Well, it could. <laughs> now, this says that the Congress shall provide for, and so that funding can come from Congress because uh, they're the ones that are supposed to provide for it, for, for organizing, arming, and disciplining. Uh, I mean, I, I got the same silence on the phone when I said, you're supposed to furnish my son with uh, army. You're supposed to arm him with some guns, pistols, arrows, whatever, but you're supposed to do that. <laughs> How does he get that? And, of course, he said he joins the Guard. And I said, well, that's not what this says. It doesn't say anywhere that he has to join the National Guard. He's already part of the militia. you got to arm him. And, of course, he didn't know what to say. You know, um, if we were to adhere to this, um, it may not be a standing army, but in a way it is. It would be the largest army in the world. Well, that's true. That's true. There's, I mean, the, the people, I think I heard on the Internet, or read on the Internet not long ago about gun control and that kind of thing. And the largest army we have are the citizens of the United States that own weapons. And um, we have a, a way larger Oops. Hold on, I'm sorry, I hit the wrong button. Go ahead, repeat that sentence. Oh, I was just going to say, the uh, the number, I think they were showing, the number of hunters, people with weapons, in just the state of Michigan and uh, Wisconsin, was higher than the number of all the troops we have in the Army. So if you add all the other states to that, yeah, that's one of the reasons they might be a little bit afraid of, you know, pushing the wrong buttons until they try and get everybody. Maybe that's why they don't want us to know that, because if we're supposed to be armed and trained, it's one step closer to throwing a bunch of idiots out of office. True. Yeah. Huh. But... That's why nobody in all the states knows that they're a part of the inactive militia, because nobody told them, and they don't want to tell them. Wow, I've been inactive all these years. <laughs> That's right. You, you've been in the militia, and you didn't even know it. Me and my spitball gun. <laughs> well, and if, every, if everybody knew that, these people that are in those age groups in all these states, if they knew that, we wouldn't have this problem uh, of people 
starting up militias because they're already in one. The state already has one. All you got to do is know it and govern yourself accordingly. Wow. <laughs> oh my god. But, but you can you can you can understand that the federal government and those that are putting out propaganda right have tried their hardest to make militia a bad word. Well, you know that would be fun to get on the radio. You know, well, these people do these militias. Oh, oh, they should go to jail. I say, well, wait a minute. You're part of the militia. I am not. Well, are you between the ages of 18 and 45? Well, yeah. Hey, you're part of the militia. It's right there in the Constitution. Go read it. You didn't know that? That's exactly right. I didn't. Dang it. (laughs) Well, there's many things. I mean, I didn't know until I started really questioning what was going on. That's been a lot of years before I decided, well, let's find out what it really says. So I'm just as bad as anybody else a few years ago, back in the 80s and 90s, when I started looking into it and seeing, gee, well, there's something that says this, but that's not what they're doing. What's going on? Well, you know what? The Oregon Constitution now is just so convoluted. You know, well, should, you know it's like everything goes up for vote. Should homosexuals be consi- you know, considered... Uh, man and man, or husband and wife, and amend the Constitution. You know, just all kinds of crazy stuff that really don't even belong there. But it's you know. Well, so, but then again, if the people, if the people are the one deciding, that's that's a Republican form of government, and that's what we are guaranteed: the Republican form of government. Well, now hopefully you have enough people that uh, are level-headed enough to kind of, you know, make the right things work. But if you get too many of people that don't think so. Now, remember, everything that's passed in a state has to uh, be pursuant to the United States Constitution. Yeah, I don't so, think a lot of it is. No, there's not. There's not, not a lot of it at all. It's, it's pursuant to the Constitution. They don't look at it that way. Well, they haven't read the Constitution to find out that's what it says. Everything that's passed should be in pursuance of the U.S. Constitution. Well... Most of the lawmakers haven't read either one. Well, were there federal? Here's our final comment from the board. I was aware of the state militia, so I joined the army at 17. Okay, so learn many. I learned many things the hard way. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. I did too. I was drafted, and that's another interesting thing about the draft. Uh, There cannot be. Draft draft is illegal because to draft somebody, the United States cannot draft an individual because, at least in that age group, because that individual is part of the state militia and technically would have to have the okay of the governor to release him from his duties as militia person to go be in the United States Army. Which is fine until they start moving overseas and then you have to say, sorry, unconstitutional, I'm refusing True, and I should have said that when I was drafted. Say, ah, sorry, that's unconstitutional. You got to check with you can't. You can only call up units of the militia. Now that militia, one person, that militia requirement, that's anybody, not just males. That's anybody, right? No, I think well, at least in Utah, it's male. Huh. Uh, now, now it may have been changed, but our constitution still just says any male inhabitant of the state between the ages of. 1845, is mandatorily a, mem- a member of the a militia. Well, I'm a woman stuck in a man's body. Does that count? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you got the, if, 
If you got the right plumbing, then it counts. <laughs> There's uh, no way around it. Huh. They don't care what they don't care what you think. They care what your plumbing is. You yeah, know? right. Same for you, Clinger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Well, okay. Well, hey, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up for the evening. Okay. That was that was really insightful. That was an incredible um, uh, evening. And so we'll continue this next week. Now, do you insist on Wednesday? Because I had several people email me that said they were going to be in church. Uh, you tell me what's a better day, and I can see if I can accommodate it. How about Thursday? That's okay. Should be okay. Okay. So a week and a day from today, uh, we will resume on Thursday. Okay. And we'll just pick up where we left off. Absolutely. So, Fred. People have questions. Do what now? Unless people have questions that they want to go over what we've gone through already. Okay. Uh, All right. Uh, Okay. All right. Well, Fred, thank you very much for being here and and helping to clarify some of this. Uh, It was very insightful. I I learned quite a bit. So you're very welcome. I'm uh, I'm honored to be on and to uh, hopefully straighten some things out. All right. Okay, you guys. Thanks a lot, and we'll catch you next week. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.